And I'm going to invite Joel to come up. And uh, he's, uh, they have been a part of reaching some of these people that have never been reached. And uh, can we give him a hand as he comes? Pastor Scott, really appreciate it. So great to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, I was here with my wife, Mandy. She she didn't come today. We recently had a, a kid, and so she's at home with the baby. We live three hours south in Scotts Valley, but she greets you guys today. So we're Joel and Mandy Corbin. We served in a country called Mali, West Africa, and we were here three years ago in 2020, and we shared with you guys about our vision, what we're believing God for in Mali. And then we left to the field. We were there for two years, and we saw God do some truly amazing things. And we wanted to share some testimonies with you guys today. Because we believe that, you know, those who go and those who send, they're on the same team. They're accomplishing the same vision. We might have been the ones that saw the fruit of the seeds planted. We saw that firsthand. But you guys are the ones that sowed that seed. And you guys were the ones that planted seeds in our lives, in our ministry, in these people in Africa. So I'm share as I'm sharing these stories, these are your stories as well. These are the stories about how your church has sent the light to this region that's never heard of Jesus. That video talked about unreached people groups, people that have never heard of Jesus before. And that was the people group we sought to serve while we're in Mali. So I want to share some testimonies with you guys today. Before I begin, I'd like to open us up in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you are the same God. You are the same God who moved in the Old Testament, the New Testament, who stirred a revival in the hearts of the disciples, and you're stirring a revival here today. God, we pray you would use us in a mighty way. We pray you would anoint and bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2021, Mandy and I set out to our new home in the village. Uh, we had actually served in Mali for four years uh, before this last term, so now until we've served there six years. But when we got married in 2020, we felt the Lord giving us a burden to go to the villages farther south. We can go to the next slide. Uh, that's a map. There's Mali right there. Some people think when I say Mali, I'm saying Maui. We're not called to Hawaii. We're in, we're in uh, West Africa. Uh, and so we were in Bamako for four years, the capital. And then we moved farther down south to the villages there that are completely unreached. And that's where we served for the last two years. We can go to the next slide. We have several pictures I was wanting to show you guys today just so you could really see what it looks like there. Uh, this is what it looks like where we serve. It's, you know, traditional Africa, I guess you could say. People live in huts. It's very poor. There's kids running around everywhere, and they have very hard lives, to be honest. They're incredibly friendly people, amazing people, uh, but they, you know, they just have, there's a lot of diseases, a lot of sicknesses. And another thing about this people group, they're the Bambara people group, is that they're unreached. The first time we drove out, we were driving through a village like this, and we were driving out for the first time, I saw a cement mound on the ground. And I asked my friend later what that was. There's a cement mound in the middle of this village, and he told me that that was the spot where this village had sacrificed a little girl to their gods several years ago. I didn't even know that kind of thing existed today. But that, it struck me and it showed me the darkness that lived in these villages. These people have never had the light. They've only had animism, then they had Islam. They've had death, despair, they've had disease. They've never had the light and the love of Jesus. So our goal as a team was to plant a church among this people group, to give them the option to know who Jesus is. And so how did we do that? You know, obviously we're not from there, so what do we do to, to show them who Jesus is? Uh, the first thing we did is that we sought to become like the local people. Paul, he says in the word, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. What he meant by that is he became like the local people in order to reach them for the Lord. So for him, he became like the Greeks to reach the Greeks. To reach the Jews, he became like the Jews. He didn't adopt their sin or the sins of the people he, he worked in, but he adopted their culture. 
So for us, we, we sought to become like the Malian people. We learned their language. Uh, Pastor Scott would fit in great in our village with that shirt. I didn't wear mine. And uh, today, I should have worn it. Uh, but actually, most of my African shirts are still in Mali because we had to evacuate from there. Um, and I'll share about, more about that later. But we sought to become like the local people. So we built relationships with them, had tea with them. I tried to learn how to farm with them. I'm not much of a farmer, but, you know, did my best. And we also opened a wellness center in our community that offered medical care to people to meet a practical need. Because a lot of people in our village have a lot of um, walls towards outsiders, towards Christians, uh, because of colonial reasons and other reasons. So we, we didn't want to just come in there and start preaching to them and telling them who Jesus is. We wanted to build a relationship with them first. As Pastor Scott was saying, sometimes your biggest witness is just a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody. And as we did this, the walls that people had began to fall. One, one kid that really was open to, to our message was a kid named Dreesen. We have a picture of him in the next slide. Dreesen is a teenager. He's now about 16 years old, and he's one of the friendliest kids you'll ever meet. Uh, Dreesen's father passed when he was very young, and so in his culture, a lot of the responsibility of the family falls on him. So when we first moved into the village, Dreesen would come to our front porch every day, would greet us, ask how we were doing, and offer to help us with anything that we needed. And so one day I took him up on his offer. We were working out in the yard, and I, we were picking up a, a heavy, like a rock or something together. And on the bottom of the rock, he didn't realize that there was a scorpion, and it stung him on the hand. Scorpions and poisonous snakes are very common where we are. It doesn't make you want to go to Mali, I know, as a mission trip. But they're very common where we are. And fortunately, scorpions won't kill you, but they're incredibly painful. Has anyone been stung by a scorpion before in here? We got one guy in the back. It hurts, right? Yeah, pretty bad. So you can see him in the back for more details on that. Uh, but he got stung by a scorpion. You know, Dresa, he's a tough kid. He's considered a leader to a lot of the other kids. And I looked over, and he just had tears streaming down his face. So I knew he was in a lot of pain. So I invited him into our house. We got him a bandage for his arm and uh, some medicine. But we wanted to do whatever we could just to get his mind off of the pain. Because there's not a lot you can do but, but wait it out. So I got him some coffee, which is his favorite drink. We got him a show uh, to show him some cartoons. And as we started watching them, Dresa looked at me and said, Adama, which is my Malian name, uh, instead of watching this, uh, do you think we can watch the Jesus film? And I was really surprised because I had showed him the Jesus film the day before. He had seen like 15 minutes of it, but I didn't think he was that into it. And how many kids do you know that are more interested in cartoons than the Jesus film? Probably not a lot. But he wanted to watch it. And as we began to, to watch the Jesus film together, all two hours, his eyes were just glued to the screen. And I realized he had never before in his life seen Jesus and his ministry in his own language, because it was in Bambara, teach and then die on the cross. And then when he rose from the dead, he was so surprised. And he looked at me because they're all Muslim. He said, you know, Muhammad, he's dead. But Jesus, he's still alive. And then I got to share with him the gospel message, how we have a living Savior and what it means to have a relationship with him. Pretty soon, Dresa began coming to our house almost every day to watch the Jesus film over and over again. One night, it was about 9 o'clock at night, and I heard a knock on my door. And I was like, you know, who's showing up to my house at 9 o'clock at night? So I went to the door, and there was Dresa. He was all dressed up with three of his friends, and they had come to watch the Jesus film again. Pretty soon, they began to come and bring more and more kids to our front porch. We can go to the next slide. And there's just a hunger in these kids for Jesus. And I believe that hunger is a direct result of prayer. It's a direct result of your prayers. I know many of us have prayed for us and for our ministry. God moves through those prayers and gives people a hunger they didn't even know they had. And these kids were just falling in love with Jesus. We can go to the next slide. Uh, God gave my wife, Mandy, a burden to reach the kids in our, our village. She had worked in the States at a Christian school for a long time and just had a burden for kids. And, uh, uh, you know, Jesus says in the word, let the little children come to me. 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For you that have worked in children's ministry, you know just how when kids, they, they, they see who Jesus is and they grab hold of it. It's just God put, it's just something special about them. Puts a fire in them to reach other kids. As these kids were, were coming to Christ, they began telling other kids about it. And we'd watch the, the Jesus film on our front porch and the kids that had already seen it would tell the other kids all about who Jesus is and what it means to, to, to be his disciple. And so God gave my wife, Mandy, a burden to reach these kids and to raise the next generation in our village for the Lord. So she started a Sunday school and she wrote lessons in the local language that were specifically for kids from Muslim backgrounds. How many of you know if you're trying to reach people that are from a, have never been to church, the way you talk to them has to be a lot different than people that have grown up in church their whole life. So uh, give her a lot of credit. She was able to make a curriculum for these kids from Muslim backgrounds and a lot of them began to experience who Jesus is. Over the last two years, we praise God that several kids made decisions in our village to follow Jesus and accept Christ to their hearts for the first time. And one of them was Dresa. Like I shared, Dresa, he grew up without a father, but he found a family in our team. He found community and that love he was longing for. He found it in his heavenly father. And this last June, he said he had decided to become a Christian. And since August, he's now sharing his faith with all the kids around him. So we praise God for what he's doing in the children in our village. And now he's starting to raise up the next generation. So as God was moving, we realized that we really needed a, a, a church building that would be a permanent place for people uh, to come and to worship the Lord. Uh, there had never been a church in our village or any of the surrounding villages ever. And so this was a huge need that we had. God blessed us with a property, and on June 1st of 2021, uh, we opened our doors to the first church in Waramanjana. That's a picture of it there. It's now been painted yellow, so it's a bright yellow church in the middle of all these huts in Africa. Uh, and, you know, it's just amazing how the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. I want to show you guys just a video of what it looks like to have church in the bush, church in the village and the way they worship. And so if we can cue that uh, video real quick, that'd be great. singing the song of Ambara. Remember that one? So that's a, a, a video of these people worshiping Jesus. Many people in that uh, video had, had come and they had come to the Lord. And it's truly incredible that the name of Jesus is being proclaimed in that village. I was helping to co-pastor the church. My wife was leading the Sunday school. And every single week, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed in Waramanjana. And so little by little, God was moving. We were settling into our home. In the village, Mandy was leading the Sunday school. I was co-pastoring the church. And God was working in the kids, and he also began to work in the adults as well. And they began to come, uh, maybe it was through our clinic, through relationships, but they began to become really curious in what we had to say. And one of these guys was a guy named Karamogo. We have a picture of him in the next slide there. We can go to the next slide. There's Karamogo. He's holding, that's our son, Jaden, right there. Uh, I don't think a lot of the, the people in our village had never seen a white baby before, so they love getting pictures with him and, and holding him. I think he's, they might think he's an alien or something. I'm not sure. But, but Karamogo, he's an incredible guy, and he's one of our construction workers. He also was a devout Muslim. And every single day you would see him out praying five times a day. And you could tell he was just very devout in his faith. And you might think someone like that would be impossible 
for him to come to the Lord. But as we spent time with him and worked together, he noticed something different in our life. He was contracted to work for us for about seven months. He ended up staying for us for over two years because he just loved being around us and just could tell there was something different. Uh, he told us later that he saw the love that we had for each other. And it reminded me so much of that verse in John where Jesus says, they'll know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And he began to ask questions. He began to come to our Bible studies. He began to ask about Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with him. And little by little, you could tell that God was working in his life. One day we had a team from the U.S. come. It was just a short-term team for, for two weeks. And I want to let you know there's power in short-term trips. I know there's one coming up to El Salvador. I just want to encourage you to pray into that. Even if you've never been on a trip before, just to pray and ask God if he's calling you to go. Because God can do things in a moment that can take an incredible amount of time to do. This team came and felt led by the Holy Spirit uh, to lead us in a time of outdoor worship. So we were all worshiping outdoors and, and praising God together. They had a, a band come. And uh, there were several African believers there that were worshiping with us and praying. And one of them was Karamogo. And we had a time where we could share words of encouragement with each other. And a local friend of mine who's a, a strong believer looked at me and said, someone's going to give their life to Jesus tonight, but I don't know who it is. And Karamogo, he asked uh, to speak, and he said something that was truly incredible. And I wrote down what he said. We translated it into English. He said on that night, Next month will be the 10th month I have lived and worked here with you all. In all my time here, I have been watching you, and I've noticed something different about you. I've decided I want it as well, and I've become a new person since being here. Step by step, my mindset is changing and becoming new. I make this promise to all of you. He, then he said this, when I leave here, I will leave as a new person. I've always been a Muslim. I was raised Muslim and have followed it my whole life. However, my promise to you is that when I leave here, I'll worship Jesus. And on that day, another soul is added to the kingdom of God. Praise God. Amen. One thing that Carmogo said that night when he gave his life to the Lord that stood out to me was he said, I've been watching you. I've been watching the way you live, and I've noticed that what you have is real. Those were his literal words. Did you know that the world is watching you today? It might not always feel like it. Sometimes it feels like the world doesn't want anything to do with us. But the world is watching. There's a yearning. There's a hunger in the world. It says in the Bible that the whole world is yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. I know before I became a Christian, I was a missionary kid in Africa. And we had just flat roofs on the roofs of our house. And in the evening, when I was out of school, I would just cry out up to heaven and say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. There was a hunger deep in me. I knew there was something more. I just didn't know what it was. There's a hunger, there's a yearning in the world. The question is, are we shining the light? In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, I wanted to read this passage with you today. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In these verses, Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world. And I know that, you know, Jesus, he says he's the light of the world. But in these verses, he's looking to us and saying, I'm calling you to be my hands and feet in the light and the darkness. I know in today's world, things are dark. If we're honest, we see it in our news. We see it in our society. We see it in our culture. More and more, it just seems like things are getting worse and worse and pushing God out more and more. And in those moments, it becomes really easy uh, to, to have the wrong reaction. We can want to fight with the world. We can want to just maybe just get discouraged and give up. We might just say, you know, this, this uh, state, it's gone to hell. I don't want anything to do with it. But in these verses, Jesus is saying, I know how dark it is out there. 
I see it clearly. What I'm calling you to do is to be the light in the midst of the darkness. Jesus says, right before he went up to heaven, his last command was, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That wasn't just for me as a missionary, Pastor Scott or Colleen as pastors. It was for each and every one of us in this room. So I want to encourage us today, as I'm sharing, to be thinking in your minds, what's my action step? What is God calling me to do to, to shine his light, to advance his kingdom? Is it to go to the evangelism training on Saturday? Is it to apply for a missions trip? Is it to call someone up and, and give them one of those cards in the back to invite them to church? Jesus is calling us to be his hands and feet. And I want to let you know that you might be the only Jesus that someone ever sees. You might say, I'm not qualified or I've got you know, issues in my own life. We all have issues in our own life. And that's the process of sanctification. The Lord works over time. But in the midst of that, you can bring someone else alongside you and tell them who Jesus is and show them through your actions the love of Jesus. So I want to encourage us today to take those words, we are the light of the world. We're his hands and feet. When Karamogo first came to Christ, uh, just two weeks later, he asked for a Bible which is a pretty big deal because once you have a Bible or you're baptized, that's the mark that you are now following Jesus and you can start to experience uh, persecution. And we can go to the next slide. We took a picture of when Carmogo came. Uh, that's him on the right in the red shirt. Uh, he's asking for a Bible, and that's actually when he was reading it for the first time. And then he brought his friend on the left named Chekoraba. And Chekoraba, is a, he's a close friend of mine, and he's a witch doctor. And when he first started reading the Bible, he told me he had tears streaming down his face at how true the words were. And God began just to move a revival in our village. And I don't like to use that word all the time, but I, there's no other way to describe it. I don't know if it was just through people praying or through what the Lord was doing, but people, I would be riding home from church, and somebody would come up to me and say, Hey, I've heard you have a Bible. Can I have one? You know, it says on an average that it takes a Muslim 12 years to come to the Lord. And we had, but we had people in just the last two years flooding to our front porch, asking for Bibles. We started a Bible study on our property. Almost all of them were Muslim seekers who are not Christian, reading the Word of God, telling their friends about it, inviting other people to come and watch the Jesus film. And so God was truly moving, and it was truly incredible to see. One night, I was about to go to bed, and I heard uh, some more noises outside, and there kept, you know, you'll see a theme of things going on at night that are just surprising, which can be kind of scary, but often there were good things happening. Uh, and so I went outside to investigate what was going on, and I saw the group of people huddled, like they had flashlights on, they were in a group of circle, and they were talking really loud. It was kind of late, so I was a little worried. So I went out there to look closer, and I took a picture of what was going on. We can go to the next slide. There was a Chekoraba, Karamogo, as those two guys I talked about, and then two other believers were all huddled around Bibles, and they had flashlights out, and they were reading and talking about the Word for hours and hours and hours. And they told us they had been doing this every single night, and they continued to do it every night for a long time. And what was amazing to me about this was there was two believers in that group that were discipling these new guys that were coming to the Lord. God began to show me that we needed to partner with these new believers as they would be the ones that would carry our mission after we're gone and carry that torch. One of them was a man named Amadou, and I wanted to share his story with you. We can go to the next slide. There's Amadou. He's one of the, he is probably the friendliest person I know. You could travel 45 minutes away, and people know who he is because he's just incredible at building relationships and one of the gentlest and humblest people I've ever met. Well, it might surprise you to know that Amadou used to be a radical Muslim. And he was in that sect of Islam that's kind of aggressive and serious and intense and can be scary to, to foreigners. Um, and when uh, uh, several years ago, this is about seven years ago, 
there's a missionary named Fauzi Arzuni. I know you guys support Nate Marie Arzuni. That's his son. And uh, Fauzi Arzuni is Mandy's uncle. He worked in our village before we even got there. And when he met Amadou, he was afraid of him. He wasn't sure what would happen because he was, he was so uh, devout in, in uh, uh, that jihadist kind of way. But that didn't stop him from sharing his faith with him. And he began to invite him to read the Bible with him. And, you know, it took a long process. But over time, the Holy Spirit worked on his heart. And he came to the Lord. He was baptized. And then he became radical in the other direction. He was radical for Islam, but he was a lot like Paul in the Bible. He became radical for Jesus. And it was sharing his faith everywhere he went. When he first was baptized, he went home to tell his family. And his family lives 13 hours north uh, from where we live. And they're all devoutly Muslim. And when he told his family, they were so upset that his father wouldn't even speak to him. His wife was always trying to hide his Bible from him. Once she destroyed his Bible. And finally, his entire village kicked him out. And he was forced to live separate from his wife and his kids for six years. For six years, zero you know, contact. I think he was able to call them on the phone, but not in person. So when we arrived to the village, I expected him to be really discouraged. I know I would be separated from my wife and kids. And we would meet and pray together and read the word. But instead of being discouraged, he was one of the most joyful people I ever met. And I realized that his eyes, they were fixed on eternity. They weren't set on this world. They weren't set on all the things that Jesus could take from him. His eyes were set on Jesus. No matter what this world took from him, he wouldn't give up his faith. In the midst of that, he also asked for prayers for his family, that he'd be reconciled to them and also that they'd come to the Lord. And that seemed impossible. But like we said today, we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who breaks chains. We serve a God who can move in places that are so dark and bring light into those places. Yeah. And so we began to ask churches like you guys and other churches to pray for his, for his family, that he'd be reconciled to them and come to the Lord. And within just one month of us praying, his wife gave him a call and said, I've changed my mind. I'm willing to come live with you. So we traveled 13 hours north, picked up his wife, his three kids. We have a picture of them there. We can go to the next slide. And now they're living in our village to this day. And he already had the biggest smile of anyone I knew, but his smile somehow got even bigger after that. But his, his story doesn't end there. After his family came uh, to live with us in the village, his wife, her name is Jenabu, uh, still wasn't serving the Lord. She was still a Muslim. She wasn't trying to hide his Bible anymore, wasn't aggressive or anything, but you know, was still you know, stood her ground and, and was a Muslim. And he asked us to pray for her. And that even seemed even more impossible than his first prayer request because she didn't speak any of the languages in our village. There's over 13 languages spoken in Mali, and the language of her people up uh, in her village is a totally different one than the one that we speak. So even if she came to church, she wouldn't understand what's going on. Amadou even asked if, if my wife would start discipling her, but they couldn't even greet each other, let alone have a conversation about the Word of God. But we began to pray, and I want to let you know today that there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Over the course of that year, God began moving in her heart. And we didn't know it at the time, but God was doing something in her. She didn't know what was going on in church, but I believe she sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. She saw the love that we had for each other. She saw her, her husband, who is now a changed man, because before he, he was you know, totally different, and saw that he was a changed man, and saw that there was something different about them. And she was like, I want what that person has. Just uh, this last August, some believers in our village went to meet with her, to talk with her about the Word of God. And as they did that, to all of our surprise, she said, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And we had no idea that over the course of that year, she was falling in love with Jesus and learning more about who Jesus is. 
Jenebu will be the first woman to ever be baptized in our village. And just two months ago, they dedicated all their kids to the Lord. And so that God took this family that was once radically Muslim and has brought all of them to Jesus. So I want to, yeah, praise God. Amen. Praise God. I want to share that because, you know, it, that seemed like it was impossible. You know, to bring that family that was so devout and bring them to the Lord. And some of you in this room are facing situations that, if you're honest, seem impossible. Maybe it's something in your personal life. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe there's someone you can think of right now in your family that doesn't know Jesus. And you're like, there's no way they would come to the Lord. Someone in your workplace. Even when we look at the situation in California, sometimes it seems impossible that God would bring a revival here in California with everything going on. But I want to encourage you, we serve a God of the impossible. And if we're faithful to pray, if we're faithful to trust God and continue knocking at the door saying, God, give me my brother. God, give me this nation. God, give me this state. God can do it. We serve a God of the impossible. And if he can do it for Amadou and his family, he can do it for you as well. So God began to move. God was working in our village. And we began to, to partner with people like Amadou about how to share our faith with those that are around us. And we started a prayer meeting at our house, inviting local believers that had come to the Lord and training them uh, to reach their neighbors for Christ. We had an outreach where we, uh, an Easter outreach where we showed the Jesus film. We invited them to go and to invite everyone they knew to come and to watch. And there, there's a picture of it there. Almost everyone in that picture has never seen the Jesus film before. And so little by little in our village, people were hearing about Jesus. They were coming to Christ. Kids were coming to the Lord as well as adults and people we didn't even expect. And other villages started to hear about it as well. There was one village nearby, about 45 minutes away from ours. And they asked if we would come and show the Jesus film there, like we were showing here. They had heard about it. The only problem was this village was so remote, which is saying a lot because our village is already remote, and we had to live off the grid already in, in our village. Um, but this village was so remote that there'd be no way to show them the Jesus film. It was just there's no electricity. It was too remote. But God set them up for something amazing. This last January, uh, it was January of, of 2022, uh, Mandy and I went, flew back to the States to give birth to our son, Jaden, and we can go to the picture. I'm a dad, so I have to show pictures of, of our kid. And uh, we, while we were there here in the States to give birth, our home church in Scotts Valley, Gateway Bible Church, uh, said they wanted to give us something to support us in our ministry. And they're already supporting us financially and in prayer, but they want to do something specifically to help us in our ministry. And they had no idea that there was this village asking us to show us the Jesus film. And what they decided to give us, it was a solar-powered uh, Jesus film backpack. And you could take this backpack to any village in the world because it relied on solar power, had speakers that could reach up to 500 people, and it would literally be the perfect tool to reach this village and show them the Jesus film for the first time. It's amazing how God works. So fast forward to this, it was uh, the next month in June, we, we went back to Africa with our baby, and we set out to this village 45 minutes away with our Jesus film backpack. When we arrived there, Amadou was with us and some of these other believers because we wanted them to be involved with it as well. Uh, the village chief came, he welcomed us and set us up right in the village square of this village. There's about 600 people there and the center of every village is the village square and anyone that's coming home from work or anything will pass through there, maybe greet the chief. And so it was a perfect spot to show it. And as we started to show the Jesus film, first there was about 10 people, then 20. By the end of the film, there's over 100 people gathered to watch the Jesus film for the first time. And these people had never before seen it before. And like Dree said, their eyes were just glued to the screen. You could not get them to stop watching what was going on. At one point, the mosque uh, began to blare the call to prayer. And if you're familiar with Islam, the call to prayer goes off five times a, 
five times a day. It's very loud because it's supposed to reach the whole village and invite them to come. So you can imagine we're, you know, maybe standing here watching the Jesus film. It was about the distance from here to the back door of the church, blaring this call to prayer. And it was really distracting. And I was worried, like, oh, no, maybe the people are going to leave. And then the people watching the Jesus film turned towards the mosque, and they went, shh, as loud as they could. And I realized in that moment that every single night of their lives, they had heard that same call to prayer. Every single night of their parents' lives and their parents' parents' lives, that was their only option. But on that night, for the first time in their lives, they were seeing the love of Jesus. On that night, for the first time in their lives, they were hearing the voice of God, hearing of a God who was calling them, and it was a free gift that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them on the cross. They didn't have to, you know, work for their salvation as Islam. They didn't have to sacrifice their kids to spirits. Jesus came and died for them willingly. And this village's arms were wide open to Jesus. Since then, this village has asked us to go and plant a church there as well. We're so excited about what God is doing in these villages. In Matthew 4.16, it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is now true of these villages in Mali. For generation after generation, all they've known is darkness. All they've known is witchcraft and Islam. But now the light has come to this region. I want to let you know, Freedom Church, that you have sent the light to these villages. We might have been the ones that saw the fruit, you know, firsthand, but you guys sowed seeds in West Africa that are bearing fruit to this day. One day we'll worship the Lord and we'll praise God, and you saw those guys, they're, they'll probably have their drums up there in heaven worshiping Jesus, and they'll turn to you and they'll thank you for sending the light to this region. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you to those who, who prayed in the night when the Lord woke them up. I was talking with, Pat, with, with John in the back, and he was saying how the Lord would stir him at times just to start praying, and he didn't know why. That means so much to us. because It's a spiritual battle, as we know. So while God was doing all of this in Mali, God was doing in incredible miracles and incredible things. We're able to plant a church. We have a local pastor who's taking it over, as well as Amadou and Dresa and Karamogo, these other Christians that are there. Other villages were hearing the good news. In the midst of all of that, uh, we had to evacuate the country. Uh, that was this last August. There were several terrorist groups in Mali that were made more and more attacks, and these got closer and closer to us until it became way too dangerous for us to be there. We stayed way longer than we probably really sh should have, but we knew it was the Lord and we needed to accomplish something. And then finally, there, became, there were several t uh, uh, calculated attacks this last July, and our leader said, you know, it's, it's time. It's too dangerous. We need to go. And we agreed. We knew it was time for us to leave. And so we evacuated to a nearby country called Senegal. We were there for three months, fasting, praying, asking God to move for the door to open. And, but instead of the situation getting better, it only grew worse. And, the, and it became, we quickly realized that God was closing a door for us in Mali. So right now, Mandy and I, were back in the States. We've been back in the States since September when we evacuated. And we will not be returning to Mali. Our team made the decision to redeploy to the Gambia, which is a country uh, just still in West Africa. It's two countries over. And though we're sad to leave Mali, of course, we've invested six years of our life there. Uh, we praise God for what he's doing there. You know, we know that God still has his hand there. A lot of those miracles, like with Jenebu and Amadou's family coming to Christ, they happened after we left. And God is doing an incredible work there. We set out to plant a church among a people group that had never heard of Jesus. We praise God that we're able to do that, and that church is thriving to this day. So although we're sad to leave Mali, we realize that God is closing that door, and he's opening another 
for us in the Gambia. And I want to take just a few moments to share what our ministry will look like in the Gambia with you today. Uh, the Gambia, it's a country in West Africa on the coast. It's cut in two by the Niger River. So everything in that picture on the right, if you can see, it's that small, skinny country right there. Everything south of the river is richer, it's more developed, the capital is on that side, and there are some churches in the south. In the north of the river, it's where we'll be living, it's uh, completely poor, the country has completely forgotten on the north of the country, it's in villages, there's no education, uh, there's a lot of diseases and, and huge needs, and more than that, in the north of the country, it's completely unreached. There are no churches at all, and the people group that lives there are the Mandika people. If you've ever seen a movie, it's called Roots. It's based out of that movie. It's based out of the Gambia, and we'll be living in the same town where that movie was shot. And the Mandika people in that movie, it says the Mandika people have been unreached for uh, since at least 1,048 A.D. So at least a thousand years, this people group has never heard of Jesus. They've been Muslim since then. So our mission as a team will be to go and to like we did in. Uh, the country we just left, to live off the grid, to live life like the local people, to build relationships with them. We hope to start a school there and a Bible school to train up local believers and eventually to plant a church there among this unreached people group. Uh, this last week we were in Springfield, Missouri, my wife and I, and we were approved to be Assemblies of God World missionaries, so career missionaries. And so we're support racing during this year to head back out to the field. We plan to go in January of this next year. And so we greatly appreciate your prayers and your support as we prepare to leave. We're so thankful for your church, so thankful for Pastor Scott for inviting me to come. I hope that as I've shared today about these things that God is doing, it's stirred in us a, a desire to see God move even more and, and a faith to believe that it can happen. And I want to encourage you, the same God that lives in West Africa is the same God that lives here. The same God that can bring Amadou's family to Christ and Karmogo and all these people, he can do the same thing in your family. He can do the same thing in your workplace. He can do the same thing in your city. So I want to encourage us to believe God for something great, to believe God for what he wants to do in the Gambia to this new country where we're going, but also to believe God for your family. Who's that person right now, if I were to ask you, you can just think in your mind of someone that you know that doesn't know who Jesus is. I want to encourage you to pray for that person, to cry out to God for that person. I like to invite, if it's okay, is the worship team still here? If I can invite the worship team to come up. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. I know this is somewhat spontaneous. Uh, just to play that last song that we, that we sang about believing God for the impossible, believing God for the unbreakable. And what I'd like to do is just to have a time, if we could all just stand, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And if you want to sing this song over that person or if you want to pray, just to cry out to God for that person in your life that needs to know Jesus, to cry out to God for the city. To cry out to God for the state, for this country. To cry out to God for your family. I want to encourage you. We serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who answers prayer. We serve a God who knows our need and is just waiting and ready to meet us. We serve a God who can bring revival in an instant and break chains that have been there for generations. Because I saw it happen firsthand in West Africa. And he wants to do the same thing here. I know God has been moving this whole month. Uh, we focus on a revival in this church. And I believe this is just the beginning. So with that, I'm going to close in prayer. And I'd like to encourage you, if you'd like to come to the altar, just pray where you're at. And let's cry out to God together for, for the people in our lives. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this Missions Emphasis Week, Lord. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in West Africa and the people, Lord, that you are bringing to Christ. God, we know there's people in our lives that don't know you, Jesus. And God, we cry out to you for them. We pray they would come to know you. 
God, we may have prayed for them for years, but God, we choose to believe you again that you're going to bring them to you, Jesus. God, we pray to you for our city. We pray to you, God, for, for our home areas, maybe place we've moved out of that were maybe too dark. We pray for those places as well. God, we cry out to you that you would move, God, in this state, that you'd bring a revival here in California. You'd bring a revival here, God. We pray you would use us to be your hands and feet, God. You've called us to be the light of the world, God. I pray you would use us, God. We know we're not perfect, but God, we pray you would fill us with your spirit today and use us, God, to shine your light everywhere we go. God, as we sing this song, God, we give you our hearts and our minds. We give you this missions week. And more than that, God, we give you all the people in our lives you're going to lead us to reach. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.